What's up, guys? Corey here from E4 Explicit Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And today we got a legend, a professor, and a Canadian, Peter Jaworski. How you doing, man? Thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Corey. <laughs> um, so backstory on uh, Peter and I. We kind of know each other, but I, I shot some videos quite some, some, some years back for you. And I was at IHS, Institute yeah. of Humane Studies, about beer. Um, which was kind of wasn't there like some loopholes or some like laws that fell through the cracks and prohibition or something? Yeah, I I remember that very well. We went to we went to a pub in Washington yes. D.C. We uh, drank some beer. Um, yeah, and then we talked about the funny laws um, regarding yeah beer in the United States. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so, but now you're talking, or you wrote a book, right? Yes. Yeah. So you wrote a book on on plasma and blood uh so i wrote a book with jason brennan who's also a professor here at georgetown university uh the book is called markets without limits uh there's the yeah there's the <laughs> nice plug you can get it on amazon it's available on amazon it's an un, it's 43 dollars on amazon or something like that i oh, think wow. that's that price is way too high sometimes it goes down to below 30 dollars uh, you can get it used. Uh, you can try to find it. It's a good book. That book argued that if it's okay to do something, to have something, uh, to exchange something for free, then it's okay to do all of those things for money. That's the central thesis of the book. So if it's okay for free, it's okay for money. And in that book, we address a number of different issues. We talk about prostitution. We talk about kidney sales. We um, we spend a lot of time talking about medical sorts of things. Oh, wow. uh, we talked, I think, a little bit about blood, but that was that was an area that I've entered uh, more recently. So since the publication of that book, I've become really interested and intrigued uh, in the world of blood plasma, um, the sale of blood plasma, the places in the world where it's illegal, uh, how we get more of it, and the various uses for blood plasma as well. But as I said, that came after the book. Got it. Okay. So, because I, I listened to a recent podcast that you did, and it you centered around because it was more recent, I think, of blood and plasma. Um, and so, so y you teach your professor here at Georgetown University, and you teach business ethics. That's right. Can you kind of just touch on what that is or what that entails, real quick? Uh, yeah. So it's just about like what businesses should do, how they should behave, what makes for good or morally bad uh, marketing practices, management practices, and so on. And as part of like a, a subunit within a broader business ethics class, you're going to ask questions like what sorts of things should be for sale? Are there some moral limits to markets? Are there things that should not be for sale, which is the subject of the book? Like, so, for example, what should not be for sale in your opinion or in your research? Or uh, sure. Uh, so uh, assassination contracts, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, child prostitution. Yes. Um, I think nuclear weapons should be off the table, and I think and things similar to that. The basic thesis again: it's if it's okay for free, it's okay for money. But there's plenty of things that we can't do for free. Sure. So you can't like uh, 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 you can't steal iPads and then sell them online, right? But the wrong of engaging in that activity isn't in the fact that like money is exchanged, but rather in the fact that like theft is wrong. Yeah, which is legal. Yeah, you can't steal for free, right? Even if you're just stealing to give a gift to someone. Sure. If I was to steal an iPad and then give it to you as a gift, that would be wrong, right? Yeah. Even though no money changes hands. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I know that like for me, I've had, uh, let's go to the blood real quick. So I've had three 
three or four blood transfusions because I've had three open heart surgeries. Now, this is back in like 88, like the 90s and like 97, right? So like, I don't know back then, was it popular to, because I didn't know you don't get paid to give blood. No. I did not know that. So, um, first of all, three? <laughs> yeah, three open heart surgeries. Yeah. Open heart surgeries. Yeah, yeah, here at uh, Washington Hospital Center and Children's Hospital. Wow. Um, yeah. And so Crazy. you've had three significant Significant, cancers. yeah, major, major. Uh, at one point, they actually, my second one, they thought that I had, I got I tested positive for hepatitis C, and then they were like, uh, yeah, no, no. They, uh, they were like, no, we're wrong. You don't have, I don't have it, obviously. Okay. But, uh, so it was like, I guess it wasn't as maybe regulated as it was now. I don't know so how that is, would fall through the cracks. You said the mid to late 80s? Uh, 88, I was born. Okay. And then I had another surgery in like, like 90, one or 1990 and then my last one was 1997 yeah so i think 1997 would have been fine but earlier like in the 80s there was a tainted blood scandal all over the world what? in like the early 1980s uh, where we didn't have sufficient testing uh, the protocols weren't very good uh, the screening tests weren't very good the kinds of questions we asked people before we asked them to donate blood weren't very good um, and so a, a lot of people, I, I'm Canadian, right? Yeah, you said at the beginning I'm Canadian. Uh, we, in Canada, I don't know the numbers in the United States, they're gonna be proportionately higher, but in Canada we had about 4,000 people who co contracted AIDS from uh, blood transfusions as well as from uh, uh, plasma-derived medicinal products. Wow. And we had about 30,000 people who contracted hepatitis C. So if you had uh, a heart operation in the late 80s, uh, I would think that, yeah, it wasn't, it's not, it's safe now. It wasn't that safe back then. Wow. So, yeah. so now 4,000 people contracted AIDS, 30,000 uh, contracted hepatitis. 4,000 Four, and 30,000. And 30, yeah. yeah. So, but are those numbers small compared to the amount of people that actually donate and, and get transfusions? Yeah. Um, they are the people who contracted hepatitis C and a, uh, and HIV. For the most part, uh, those people were people who depend upon plasma-derived medicinal products on a regular basis. So, for instance, the population of hemophiliacs these are people whose blood doesn't clot like like yours and sure. and mine does. Uh, they are they are dependent on clotting factor which is one of the plasma-derived medicinal products, they also, they also get more transfusions than you and I would. Uh, so just about everyone who was uh, a hemophiliac in Canada and basically around the world contracted one of these diseases as a consequence of either transfusions or these medicinal products. Jesus Christ, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's such a disaster. It's such a scandal, which is why the issue is as sensitive as it is uh, not just in Canada, but in many parts of the world. So you asked me at the beginning about paying for blood donations. And here's the, uh, the story is that it used to be the case that there were professional donors or people who would get paid for donating blood. <laughs> they would be on call. This is we're talking about like the, I'm going to say the 1950s or the 1960s. I'm not a historian, so yeah. you'd, you'd have to double check those things. But they would be on call and then, you know, 
if the hospital needed blood, that person would show up and they would uh, give their blood and then they would transfuse that blood. Wow. Uh, later, with the advent of blood banking, where we could take the blood yes. and store it, uh, then we broadened out the scope and we asked more and more people to donate blood. It was very popular uh, post-World War II. It was around World War II when, um, when it became more widely known that this is an incredible way to save a lot of lives. Okay, so there used to be people who were paid for it. Uh, what we found, however, is that uh, payment generated adverse selection in some cases. Adverse selection is just a fancy word for like, quote unquote, the wrong people sure. are donating blood. So if you think about it, if you offer money for somebody to donate blood, uh, there's a chance that the that like groups of people who engage in high risk behavior, like intravenous drug use, for example, sure. uh, they might be attracted to, to sell their blood. And so that's one of the questions that we ask in the survey. And it's also what motivated uh, making it illegal to pay people for blood donations uh, in most of the world. Hmm. Now, the United States is a little bit different because it's not illegal to pay people for blood donations. However, hospitals do not accept uh, blood used for transfusions if that blood is paid for. Oh. So the law that regulates it in the United States is a law that says that you have to label the product as containing paid for blood and then uh, as a way of mitigating risk uh, and in general uh, purposes of like raising the safety standard most hospitals the overwhelming majority of them in fact do not buy that blood and so it is not common practice in the United States to pay for blood if it's going to be used for transfusions it's a different thing if that blood is being used for research purposes got it so the American Red Cross does pay people to donate blood, uh, but they do that exclusively for uh, research done on blood. Now there's a distinction between blood and blood plasma. Plasma is the yellow or straw colored yeah. liquid in mm -hmm. your veins, right? It's the majority of the liquid running through your, through your veins. Um, plasma, when it's extracted, in order to make these medicines that I mentioned, like immune globulin, albumin, clotting factor, et cetera, you can extract it from a donor and then you can do a number of things on it. In particular, you can heat treat it. You can't heat treat blood, right? Because that blood has to, in order to maintain its properties, it's like life-saving properties, yeah. you can't. Can't do anything to it really. Yeah, you can't pasteurize it, right? Sure. But you can pasteurize, you can heat treat plasma in order to manufacture factor eight, for example, one of the clotting factors. And that heat treatment is effective against HIV and a number of other potential diseases. Uh, you can use nanofiltration, right? Really tiny holes, and then they only let in uh, certain sized particles or whatever through those holes. Um, and maybe most importantly, you can use solvents and detergents. So you can clean the plasma, what? which is effective. Yeah. Why would you do that? So you would do that precisely in order to eliminate anything but the specific protein that you want to isolate and use, right? Wow. So it's the proteins within plasma that have the, the, the helpful effects and you want to isolate those and everything else doesn't really matter. And so you can clean it and then turn it into this kind of medicine. And now you, this is why you can pay people in the United States for a plasma donation, but you don't pay people for a blood donation because of all the things that we can do to that plasma, which makes it as safe as unpaid plasma. Got it when you're when you turn it into that medicine that makes sense so you can so like you just said you can pay someone for plasma like a hospital will take plasma all day they will take the medicines that are made, made with from it okay 
with the plasma that is paid for. Interesting. And just to give you a, a little bit of scope, <laughs> let, look, there's uh, there's seven countries in the world. I said six on the last podcast that I was on, uh, and it turns out that like in China, they pay for it as well. But there's seven countries in the world that pay for plasma donations. The United States, you know about China. I just told you about Germany, Austria, Hungary, and parts of Canada, right? Oh, and the Czech Republic, if I didn't say that. Okay. But that's the seventh one. Uh, I say parts of Canada because Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, and British Columbia passed laws to ban it. The other provinces allow it. Hmm. Um, those countries, and in particular the United States, supply the overwhelming majority of all of the plasma medicines around the entire world. The United States is responsible for approximately 70% of all of the plasma in the world what? used to make these medicines, 70%. That number's gonna go up, by the way, because we don't really see movements in other countries towards paying donors wow. and not paying donors or asking people to do it for free. It takes about an hour and a half. People just don't do it. It takes an hour and a half to donate plasma? Yes, you, you sit attached to a machine, that machine spins the uh, whole blood, and then it takes out the plasma and then returns the, the red and white blood cells and platelets oh back into your vein, right? Whoa. So it takes about an hour and a half time to two consuming. hours. It's time consuming. Not a lot of people have that kind of time. You're already restricted to people who are, uh, I mean, middle class or higher because uh, you need a stable job that allows you to like take two hours yeah. to go donate plasma. Um, so you're you're excluding a number of people who are trying to make ends meet. Whereas in the United States, you pay people it's anywhere from like twenty to forty five dollars. That's it. I mean, you say that's it, but it works out to about $15 per hour. So it's oh, like, okay. you right. know, like minimum wage, $15. In Canada, it's more. It's about 40 to $50. But you can't do it for eight hours straight. No, you can do it. Uh, you can donate up to twice a week with 48 hours in between, twice oh. every seven days. So you can make about $300 a month in the United States. Plus, there's bonuses and other kinds of things <laughs> built in. So you can make 300 to 400 sometimes more per month um, providing plasma. I was going to say donating, but um, when I have these conversations, people are so touchy about the language. Yeah, and they say, well, you donating. can't call it yeah, yeah. plasma. Plasma donation. Okay, so when you provide plasma, that's how much you get paid. Wow. So you can't, like, you know, live off of it, really? No. You no. can't live off of it, but it does make a difference. So if you are poor, even if you are a middle class, if you're a college student, right? I mean, this will cover your books. Sure. So it's not it's not a job, right? It's just something that you can do on the side. Works a little bit like Uber, I guess. Yeah. Or no. what the idea behind Uber was in sure. the first place. I think the payment is fair. I think the payment is uh, pretty significant. It represents about thirty percent of the total revenue from a liter of plasma. Oh wow! So thirty percent of it goes back to the to the donors, to the providers of that plasma. So I do, my own view on it is that it's a fair payment. It's a benefit to the person providing the plasma because $30 is a lot more than $0, sure, yeah. which is what like Ontario and Canada offers you, $0 yeah. right, to do it. You do it for free. Um, and it's really important for the patients because the, the patients, their lives depend upon these medicines, right? Uh, without these medicines, many of these patients would surely die. Uh, and this is a way to generate enough plasma to provide uh, people with that medicine. Hmm. 
In, in fact, I say 70% of the entire world's plasma supply comes from the United States. It represents approximately 1.6% of total exports by GDP for the United States as a whole. So 1.6% of your, you're an American, of your total exports by GDP is blood products and the overwhelming number one, I mean, we're basically talking about plasma. Sure. Wow. It's a huge number. That's insane. It's staggering. So do, so th is there a like shortage of plasma in blood? Um, so thanks to the United States, not really, although every once in a while. So, for example, Canadian Blood Services, they're the ones who run things up in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, they just recently, like I just saw the article earlier today, but I think it's uh, a day or two old. They're saying that there might be a shortage of subcutaneous immune globulin in Canada. Uh, what that means is that there are patients who use it now and they have to use it regularly in order to, to stay alive. They're going to be fine, but they're saying uh, no new patients on this particular immune globulin product. Are there shortages? No, but we don't have enough. Like parts of India, parts of China, I mean, many countries that aren't totally wired into sure. uh, um, uh, the trade in plasma, I guess they do suffer from shortages. And the reason why we don't have shortages in Canada more frequently, for example, is because we just buy it from the United States. 80% of our supply is of from us. is from the United States, is from paid donors in the United States. So is your argument like, all right, well, if they're doing it, why, don't, why doesn't everyone just do paid? That's part of the argument. The argument, in fact, like the strictly speaking, the argument goes like this. What matters most of all is that we save lives. Right. That's the I mean, all other considerations are relevant and important. All sure. other moral objections are relevant and important. And we can go through them if you want. But I think the thing that we shouldn't forget about is the value of human lives. And in my mind, that's number one. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the question is, how do we manage to procure enough plasma to save as many lives as possible? Now, I'm convinced and I find it extremely difficult to believe that an altruistic system, a purely uh, a system where people just do it for free, is going to provide a sufficient amount of plasma. Part of the reason why I think that is because there is no country in the world that is self-sufficient in plasma unless they pay people. Yeah. If there was one country that did it, I'd be more open to it. People sometimes point to Italy and they say, well, Italy's close. Sure, Italy's close. It's like 70, 80 percent self-sufficient or whatever. But Italy gives you a paid day off work. That's payment. Yeah, that's a, that's a form of payment. And could also be more than the 40 or whatever dollars you're going to get in Canada or here. It can be a lot more. Yeah. And I mean, Australia comes close to They're about 70 percent. So you have wow. you have something. But that still leaves 30 percent. That, that that Australia has to import from countries that pay sure. for plasma. So that's the most important argument. So I, this saving lives is more important than any of the objections that I've heard uh, to paid plasma. And there's like a whole bunch that's of objections. I actually was listening to Joe Rogan the other day and he was, he, I don't know who he was interviewing, but he was, it was funny because it was after I contacted you and I knew we were going to talk kind of about blood and stuff. And he was, talking to someone and they said that um you ever heard of a vampire facial yes okay so they were saying how like this these like don't do it yeah <laughs> really well i mean because these people got aids from it but i thought they take your own blood when they take your own it's different but kim kardashian did this right yes. so everyone's like oh let's get it. they take your plasma right and then they inject it yes. into your face yes 
I guess it makes you more vibrant. Or I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they do it, but I just thought it sounded like terrifying <laughs> for one. But like, is that you know? I don't even know. Is that something that's like you just said? Don't do it. Why would Why would you not want to do that? Because it's someone else's blood on your face, or if it's somebody face? else's plasma on your face, I don't recommend you do it. And even in your own case, I mean, I don't know. Just get wrinkly. Yeah. <laughs> They just let it happen. Just let it happen. Yeah, let it let it happen. What's right. the big deal with getting old? I mean, I understand. I guess people want to preserve their youthful uh, glow. And somebody like Kim Kardashian, I mean, I guess it's her job. Sure. To, uh, part of her job is like her general attractiveness or something like mm -hmm. that. And so, um, so maybe for her and people like her, it makes sense. I just, I don't know. I would just, I think it would be better if our attitude towards people's appearance or whatever was a little bit different yeah, than no. it is now i agree just go ahead and get wrinkly yeah just let just we let have it. like jack the bulldog right here that yeah. guy's pretty wrinkly yeah he's I super wrinkly <laughs> no vampire facials yeah. for our bulldog that's so funny <laughs> i mean how would it how would a doctor or somebody even come up like what would you know you're sitting back like, you know what i think i'm gonna put blood on my face today like how does that even go through your head honestly like because you know when i think of blood i think of like I don't want to touch it. I don't want, you know, I mean, you always have to have gloves on. Like, it's a big deal, right? But I guess now people are making it not a big deal because of stuff like that. Is that like, I don't know. I don't know. I, you probably don't know much about it, but. Well, plasma is what, in a way, it's part of what keeps us young. It's part of what keeps oh, really? us ticking. Yeah, the plasma has rejuvenating properties or whatever. Didn't know uh, that. Recently, we've been trying this is i don't know if you know about this but like in silicon valley they were paying young people for uh plasma donations and blood donations and then some of these rich people were getting transfused with young blood oh the fda God. recently came out and said you shouldn't do this uh, <laughs> and i agree with the fda you shouldn't do this but we've done it with mice so we've taken old mice and then we've taken blood from young mice and then we've put young mice blood into old mice and what happens is that the old mice's memory improves. The old mice begin to behave uh, more like young mice. What? So um, there is the potential at some point in the future, and I say the future, not right now. There's the potential um, for these kinds of things to help with like memory problems. The big, the big one would be if if plasma, if we could come up with like a plasma medicine that would affect positively Alzheimer's and dementia patients. It's possible that one of these products might uh, make it the case that like people no longer suffer from dementia or we limit some of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some of the symptoms of dementia and Alzheimer's. Okay, like you could uh, push, it, push it out a little bit further too, right? Because you get the onset dementia and then alzheimer's yeah my grandpa died of it so i'm like very familiar with the my, disease my grandmother had yeah. dementia it's, yes. it's rough it's it, yes it's super it's super rough uh, and so i i hope that we come up with something uh one thing to tie this back to our earlier conversation at the moment it's 70 percent of the world's plasma supply comes from the united states and that's for rare blood disorders and rare diseases hmm. like primary secondary immunodeficiency or like problems with your blood clotting so hemophilia those are rare wow. disorder disorders this isn't like a general thing yeah. the plasma medicines aren't used i mean they're also used for for burns and for shock victims we use albumin in those cases but those are rare diseases yeah that's rare stuff now if we discover 
if, if one of these plasma medicines becomes effective for something that isn't that rare, like say heart disease or Alzheimer's dementia or other kinds of memory problems, you're going to see an explosion in the demand for these products that we haven't witnessed yet. This is why this is part of the reason why I think it's pretty urgent that uh, the countries that ban payment for plasma donations get rid of those bans. We also need to diversify the number of countries from which we source this plasma, right? Yeah. So, anyways, I, I think um, I don't see it, it's growing the market for plasma with the current medicines that we have. It's growing by about nine point six to ten percent per year, wow. and in the United States, the number of plasma centers that are opening in the United States, it's huge. It was like 400 plasma centers from like the 1970s until about 2005 or something like that. And right now there's about 824 plasma centers. So from, from like 1980, 1970, whatever, to 2005, 400 plasma centers. From 2005 until like 2018, it, it more than doubled. Oh, wow. And right now the plasma centers are opening in various states very quickly. And of course they are because it's driven by the global demand. Sure. And the United States is like basically the only global player in the plasma market. Germany is trying and uh, the Czech Republic is trying as well. Um, Canada could be. Uh, we only have three plasma centers in Canada. Three? Three, yes, three. Oh um, my God. Three paid plasma centers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, the unpaid ones, uh, Canadian Blood Services is trying to open 40. They've asked for $855 million to open 40 unpaid plasma centers. But the, I'll make a prediction now. Suppose that that goes through, I'm going to predict that it's not going to be enough. Like Canadians are not going to donate their plasma. For free. I mean, it, some people will, but one, it's, it's more expensive than paid plasma. It's two to four times more expensive to oh, do wow. it for free than to pay people. And of course, that makes sense because you need of course. Uh, donor <laughs> recruitment and retention yep. programs are way more expensive. Because if you pay somebody, if I pay you, you're, you're going to be like, yeah, 30 bucks, right? Yep. 50 bucks, whatever yep. it is. And then I say, come back two days from now in the U.S., right? Uh, or come back next week and I'll give you another 30 sure. bucks. And you're like, okay, great. And then and then most people that donate, uh, that give, provide plasma, uh, do it regularly. Sure. But if you don't pay someone, then what hassle. do you do? Then, yeah. then you've got a poster. And it's like, please save lives. Please, uh, we're begging you. Sure. Come save lives. People donate blood because it takes like 15 to 30 minutes yeah, to do it. Um, and also you get a day off school. The like the numbers on blood donors is really interesting. So it's like a huge number of like high school students that donate blood. Then it kind of collapses mm -hmm. and then it tails up again, ticks up again around like 45, 50 years old. So you have like a bimodal distribution oh, wow. of blood donors in the United States. And then why do all these like high school kids give blood? Well, they give blood because they get a day off school. Yeah, and it comes. I mean, th well, that's because they they would pull up in the in the Red Cross truck or van or bus and be like, "Hey, come on outside and donate blood." And it was like an all day thing. Yeah, at my elementary, my middle, and my high school. So that's right, <laughs> which is crazy. And it's also funny. I used to I used to work for the Red Cross. So is that right? They would pay me to call people and annoy them about coming in and donating blood for free. Well, okay, so a uh, couple of things to note about that. First, yeah, you weren't a volunteer, you got paid. Yeah. To, mm -hmm. And then uh, you describe it as to annoy people to donate oh. blood. 
And I know that uh, for a lot of people, it does seem like an annoyance uh, and it does seem annoying, but it's really important. 100%. Especially if you have O negative blood, you're a universal donor. You need to, you need to, I'll just do it right here on behalf of the, actually, I don't speak on behalf of any of these. <laughs> on behalf of the people who need blood in the United States and Canada and the rest of the world, you know, put on your shoes, go out there. If you've got O negative blood, you need to go donate blood. If you have B positive plasma, that's the universal donor type for plasma, you need to go and donate that too. Th this is, yeah, it's really important. And, um, yeah, I mean, even though we've gotten a lot better mm -hmm. at uh, managing our blood supply so that we don't need as much as we used to, it used to be the case that every time there was a surgery, you would have to have the, the patient's blood type, like a unit yeah. of it, a liter or something like that, a couple of pints, whatever, uh, there in the operating room, in yeah. the theater, like every single time. But now with the advent of modern like technologies and modern ways of like conducting surgery, there's less blood involved, and so we no longer need that. And so the demand for blood has collapsed in the United States and, and elsewhere. Nevertheless, we still need especially O-negative blood. We need all the types of blood, but like O-negative is the universal donor. It's the most important one. It's the one that like if they could, blood clinics would pay for, and they'd pay a lot for O-negative blood. It's, it's vital. You should donate it. Because everyone can use it. Everyone can use it. Yes. Interesting. Cool. All right. So, so I think that covers some blood stuff. We talked about some <laughs> some blood stuff. So let's talk about some other topics in your uh, in your book, right? So, it's business ethics about like, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marketing yeah, without sure. limits. Yeah, yeah. So it's ethics. It's the moral limits of markets. Yeah. Right. So so it, blood. You I mean you can talk about what else can you can you do for free that you should probably be paid for? I um, mean, time out. I have a question. Okay. Don't we pay people for sperm? Don't we pay men to go into facilities and give sperm? Oh boy, am I? I'm so <laughs> Did I open a can of worms? Sorry. I'm so glad. No, no, no and no gross pun intended. But um, <clears throat> I'm so glad you asked that question, and I'll tell you why. Um, I wrote an article for uh, USA Today, mm -hmm. uh, which was a couple of years back, and the title of the article initially the one that i wrote the one that i suggested was uh you know like dear donald trump please don't end nafta um canadians lives uh depend upon it yeah. and i made this joke and the joke was um boy i'm not going to remember what it was i was so proud of the joke it was <laughs> like uh, uh we import sperm from the united states what? and we import plasma from the United States. In Canada, it's not legal to pay people for sperm donations. It used to be the case that we had a whole bunch of like sperm yeah. uh, centers uh, and we used to pay people in Canada too. Uh, and then I think it was in 19, I'm going to say 94, but again, I'm not a historian. I don't remember these dates. Uh, you'd have to look it up. But we made it illegal to pay people for their sperm donations. And what ended up happening is that all of the like sperm centers closed except for one in Toronto. <laughs> and now for the entire population of Canada, there's like seven to, I'm going to guess, like 12 sperm donors in the entire country <laughs> of Canada. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. So now put yourself in the shoes of like a, a, a woman who um, wants to, mm -hmm. what was that called? 
Insemin- be inseminated? Or yeah. My so mom was a surrogate mother, too. So okay. she used to have. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm like, I'm like a fucking jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, yeah. She's, she's had uh, three sets of twins, two singles, and me and my sister. I mean, wow. my sister are my dad's kids, too. But, like, she's had, like, mixed babies, Russian. Like, it's crazy. But anyway, That's yeah, amazing. artificially inseminated. Oh, right. So, um,. If you put yourself in the shoes of like a Canadian woman, do you want to take one of these like seven to 12? Yeah. Canadian? No. So what you do is you go online and you check out the American sperm banks and those American sperm banks give you a lot of information. You can look those up online uh, and they tell you like the age of the donor, the like uh, whether they completed college or not, Damn. how high, like maybe they got a PhD or whatever. And you, you can have like a, a, a number uh, you can have more information than you can in like medical Canada. history, and medical also. history, all that kind of stuff. Wow! And then you can order it, and then and then the they will ship it to the fertility center in Canada. And we don't even know how the numbers <laughs> are huge, but we don't know the precise numbers because they're not tracked. However, we import sperm and we import plasma because we don't pay for it. So that so you mentioned sperm. Um, that's one. Another one that I think it, it is fairly urgent for people to change their minds on, and it's the one that's a little bit more complicated, but it's it's kidneys. Sure. Like in the United like States. Like transplant, kidney transplant. And all that's that right. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the United States, there's uh, about 100,000 people, just over 100,000 people who are on a waiting list for kidneys, for a kidney, for a single kidney. Um there are approximately 5,000 deaths in the United States every year because Damn. not enough of us donate kidneys. Now, I've met a number of people who have donated a kidney altruistically. Uh, so my, my friend Arthur Ward is a philosophy professor at, the, um, uh, at Michigan State University, one of their campuses. So he just gave one of his kidneys heroically in February. Uh, our, a colleague of mine here, I don't want to mention his name just in case he doesn't he doesn't like to talk about sure, the sure. fact that when he was 25, he gave up a kidney. I also know Josh Morrison, who runs Weightless Zero. He, d- he did it. There's a, a writer at Vox who did it as well. So I've met these people and I've spoken to them. But the number of people, the people who give up a kidney to a stranger are described as extreme altruists. This is not a procedure. This is fairly serious surgery. This is not a procedure that most people are happy to, to do. Yeah. To do. It's, not a, it's, not a in, it's, a, it's a, not an outpatient type situation. No. Um, you get cut open and they take, they take out a kidney. Now, it's the risks involved. It depends on your health. Sure. Uh, if you are a young, healthy male, the risks are comparable to a cesarean section. And a cesarean section is a procedure that we do routinely in hospitals, right? It's not like it, – it's a serious procedure, but it's not like we never do it. We yeah. do it fairly frequently. For every day, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's roughly um, the risk involved, and yet we just don't have enough people doing it. And even if we were to change the rules surrounding kidney donation at the point of death – Right, so like right now, I signed my driver's license card. I'm a I'm a donor. I'm mm-hmm. an organ donor, and you should do that too. And I hope you are as well. So if I'm in a car accident or something like that, hopefully they will take all of my organs and save as many lives as possible. But even if we were to change the rules so that everyone by default in the United States say, 
was an organ donor, that's not going to do very much at all. Sure. We still need we need ongoing. We need about you know r- right at the moment we need like seventy thousand kidneys to be donated, and then every additional year, every year, if we were to clear the waiting list, we would need about five thousand, six thousand people. Wow. Now you're looking at a population of about a hundred million in the United States who would be eligible to donate a kidney. Of those, about say half a million people would be what can be described as ideal kidney mm-hmm. donors. These are people who are so healthy um, that that uh, going under the knife and, and having a nephrectomy done uh, would be very safe, um, would be similar to a cesarean section. So I, I, think, I think it would be very feasible going forward. Uh, 5,000 people a year is all it would take. Uh, we could have a, our, our pick of like the very best, uh, meaning the very healthiest yeah. uh, people. The ones for whom this surgery would be the least burdensome and difficult for them to deal with, and yet people don't do it, and and of course they don't do it. I haven't done it. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared to do it. I've thought about it. I've put a lot of thought into it. I'm scared to do it. Um, every time I think very seriously about it, I get this like rush of like fear. However, if we were to offer people a sum of money and incentive to do it, then more of the people for whom it's healthy and safe will, I think, um, show up and say, okay, I'm willing to do this. 100, isn't it like, uh, how much, so the black market or whatever, like Mm -hmm. if you went to another country to get a, you know, to donate your kidney or whatever, like how, how how much would it go for? Uh, So it depends. There's a city in the Philippines, for example. This is another reason why we should consider paying people for kidney donations it's to eliminate situations like this where you have there's a city in the Philippines you can look it up on like Google image searches where mm-hmm. just about every male over the age of 16 has uh, sold one of their kidneys and at the moment a lot of these people are taken for a ride so they get paid like three thousand to five thousand dollars a tiny fraction of the total cost to the patient because it'll it'll cost it depends on what country we're talking about Um, I think in Israel, there was a doctor who did this illegally for a long time, and he was charging, I think it was about $100,000. Oh, my God. Um, Well, yeah, because it's illegal, right? um, So the risk, well, that's one, but also the the risk of getting caught, which he did, and now going to jail, which he's doing now, um, is higher, and so the price goes up. Um, Damn. But the estimate... In the United States, the total cost, I think, would be around $100,000 in the U.S. Um, and that would include everything. Payment to the, to the kidney provider, mm-hmm. um, payment to the doctor, payment to the hospital, uh, and so on. Um, now, if you were to compare that price at the moment, people who are on the waiting list, waiting list have to go on dialysis. Dialysis is like you go there once a week Mm -hmm. and you sit there for a couple of hours. And my understanding is that it's awfully close to torture. Um, You're in pain all the time. Uh, It's not a pleasant thing to go through dialysis. The machine has to do what what my kidney is doing for me, what your kidney is doing for you. Yeah, it probably sucks. It sucks, yeah. Yeah, In short, it it sucks. But the cost of dialysis, which is borne by like Medicare and Medicaid, you would save money if the government would save money if they did that if route. they paid if they paid kidney providers for one of their kidneys because the estimates are that they would pay approximately 40,000 for mm-hmm. a kidney 
if they were to pay for a kidney, that gives the recipient about eight to ten years. It depends on how young the person. It depends on a number of factors, yeah, but yeah. about say eight to ten, maybe up to fifteen years of not having to go on dialysis or whatever. That saves. That's the, a ton of money. They would save. A ton of money. Even if you gave him a hundred thousand, you'd probably save a ton of money. At a hundred thousand, it would take like five years before you start re- saving money. But yeah, yes, but that's a and the fact that they don't have to go to dialysis for the benefit to yeah, the patients are outweighs enormous. it. And once again, this is another instance in my mind where the importance of saving lives has to be uh, kept in mind, mm-hmm. right? Because think about the objections that people raise to not only plasma but also things like kidneys, right? So the most important one, well, the one that's cited the most frequently is the commodification objection, sure. which is like you you can explain that. You can't but, put yeah. a price tag on the human body because that turns us into commodities. Yep. And then maybe you and I will start thinking of our bodies the way that we think about our car or whatever. And I've never, I've never seen, not yet, I've never seen an empirical, this is an empirical claim. Sure. Right? It's about what thoughts I have in my head. I understand that that's difficult to measure. But in principle, this is an empirical claim. Put a price tag on a part of someone's body, and then you should be able to see in an empirical way whether or not their attitudes change towards their body. Not a single person. Everybody raises the commodification objection. Not a, there's not a single empirical paper that I'm aware of showing any connection between putting a price tag on any part of the human body and anybody having a commodification attitude towards their body. But at any rate, even if it's true, even if we have that attitude, okay, that's the price we pay to save somebody's life. Yeah, it's worth I'm it. willing to pay that price. Yeah. Commodification. I think the one that sticks the most, the most powerful objection to putting a price tag on certain parts of our bodies is the wrongful exploitation objection. Sure. Which is like who's going to who donates plasma in the United States? Who do you asking me? Yeah, who I, do you I, think? I like think socioeconomically, are um, these rich people who no, are selling I think it's, plasma? I think I, I notice when I drive through not so good neighborhoods, I see a lot of blood banks, and that's where I think a lot of those places are. Um, so they're not the you know the people that live around here are not going there. I don't think. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the Atlantic and other national newspapers and magazines, the New York Times yeah. and so on, when they talk about it, they talk about the poor people that are selling their plasma. And so the worry, the concern is that people who are patients are exploiting, or rather the concern is that the companies that are the middlemen between the, the providers of the plasma and the patients, that they're profiting off of poor people. Hmm. Like, so like, who's, like the Red Cross and like other people that Not provide the, the service? Not the Red Cross, but like the various plasma companies that pay Got donors it. and are for-profit companies. Got it. Okay, yeah. This criticism, for some reason, doesn't re- – I say for some reason because I'm a little puzzled about this too. But like this criticism doesn't seem to apply to nonprofit companies like the Red Cross, like Canadian Blood Services. Hmm. Uh, and the reason why I find it puzzling is because they, they don't pay for the plasma, but there are people who get paid. Like yeah. It's not shareholders, but it's the employees. Yeah. Canadian Blood Services has more than 400 people who make over $100,000 per year. And I know this because they issue like an annual sunshine list. So you can go online and you can see all the people who make over 100,000 at Canadian. Now, I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's anything the matter with people who have certain medical expertise making a a lot of money off of this system, right? But you would think that the objection the exploitation objection would apply in that case too. Like yeah, it's literally the same thing. Yeah, these people's <laughs> salaries are dependent on the people who uh, give their plasma, 
Now, of course, it might not be poor people, and it typically sure. isn't yeah. poor people who give their blood away for free, but nevertheless, it should apply. So the objection is that we are taking from the poor and then giving to, actually, in this case, it's mostly poor people, right? These are diseases that sure. affect lower socioeconomic groups, but also middle class and, and rich people, mm -hmm. right? In the case of kidneys, the 1984 National Organ Transplantation Act in the United States was passed. That's when it, uh, that's what made it illegal to pay people for kidney donations. Uh, s then Senator Al Gore, you know Al Gore, of course. right? He said uh, uh, a market in kidneys would turn the poor into a source of spare parts for the rich, right? And when you think about, so see how he's putting that? He's yeah. suggesting a kind of exploitation objection. Sure. So my response in the case of plasma is this. It's not it's not risky to donate, to give plasma. It's no. not a risky procedure. So worries about the risk involved don't apply. It's not undue inducement. You get paid, like I said, 20 to $50 per donation. We're sure. not talking about a sum of money that clouds your judgment, that makes people go, even if you're poor, it doesn't like... There are, it's not going to solve all your problems. It's not going to solve all your problems, but it's not like... It's not like a, a an offer you literally cannot resist, yeah, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the unfair, typically when people talk about exploitation, they think about it in terms of like an unfair division of the benefits from exchange or from trade. Mm -hmm. And in this case, like I said before, it represents 20 to 30% of the revenue per liter of plasma. 20 to 30% is a fair yeah. amount paid to the provider of plasma. The argument in the case of kidneys is going to be a little bit different, right? Because plasma regenerates. You don't lose anything permanently. And so the worry about exploitation is that the poor are going to show up and they're going to be willing to sell their kidneys. kidney. Yeah. But like I said, and I think this is important, there's we there's an ongoing need. There will be an ongoing need for about 5,000 kidneys per year. If we offer people $40,000 for a kidney, and in my mind, this would be like a government program, sure, so yeah. Medicare or something yeah, like that, cover that pay people mm -hmm. 40000 Or it would come in the form of like tuition assistance or some kind of something. tax credit. Something, yeah, yeah. Something. I, I don't envision a, like a, a literal check. Yeah, like here's 40000 for your, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. And I don't envision. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And I don't, I don't think that like patients are going to pay yeah. Don't oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, you, thank you for your kidney. Here's 40,000. Yeah, no. It's definitely going to be a program. It would it's have to be, be some so they can regulate it. It's going to be – exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be some kind of uh, program that is going to pay people. So if there's 5,000 – if there's a need for 5,000 donors each subsequent year with a – with my guess is that about fi at least 50,000 people are going to offer and are going to be a match each year for sure. this program, meaning that like, we need 5,000, 50,000 show up. The medical experts, the hospitals, the uh, medical ethicists on the board there can then select the people who Who's are best. not. Yeah, yep. so I think, but even if the exploitation objection was like powerful enough to overcome all of these things, again, I remind people, we're saving, it will save a life and the moral significance of saving a life is weightier than exploiting someone. Yeah, no, you're right. Yep. If we could do it without exploitation, of course, that would be the ideal, but it's not happening. Yeah. People are on a waiting list. It's not happening. Yeah. People are dying. 5,000 per year are dying just in the United States alone. And what are we doing to save their lives? 
Just another waiting. poster? Yeah. Another advertisement that is urging people to do something that they haven't done? Yeah. We're not doing it. We're letting these people die. I think that's an... Oh, I didn't mean to get so. No, no, that's. I, th I think it's a. I think in a way, it's a, real it, thing. It's, it's a. It's a moral outrage that people are like, oh well, you know, people should do it with altruistic intentions. They're not doing it with altruistic intentions. Oh no, commodification, whatever, yeah. uh, exploitation. I consider that a very good objection. I think mm -hmm. that's sound. But then I think, and you weigh that against saving a life in the balance, and you go, well, that's Time a trade-off. Yeah. That's a morally correct trade-off. Right, even if, but I'm I'm saying I don't even think it would apply even in the case of kidneys because of the numbers. You need five thousand. More than fifty thousand are going to show up. You can exclude people who are too poor, for whom it would be say yeah. exploitative to take their mm -hmm. kidney. Um, and then um, I mean, in a way, more than that. Like I don't see how we help the poor by taking away this option. So if somebody's poor and they want forty thousand dollars, right? Um, and you you allow them to. I don't see how we how we make their lives better by saying, "Ah, poor people, you can't." Do you can't this do thing. this because, yeah. If anything, <laughs> I feel like you would. It would help any. I don't know. I, I agree. I think that I think it would need to be like you said, like a program. And I think it would. If you're having fifty thousand people, and that's a guessment, obviously. Of that's a uh, that's a lot more than five thousand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could literally pick who you want without also having to be kind of like, well. You know, we don't want to exploit you, so we don't want to give it to you because you make this a year, or you, you know, you're homeless or whatever. You know what I mean? So, that's interesting. I have a question about. You said organ donor, right? So I used to be an organ donor. I mean, I don't know who would want my heart, anyways. If anything was, because my heart's basically like, you know, it's been broken. It's too been many broken times. too many times. It's chopped up. My question is. So I used to be an organ donor. I don't think it's on my driver's license anymore. I don't think I am, but it's because. Um, like I've heard so many things or stories of like, oh, well, if you're an organ donor and I get into a car accident or something happens to me yeah. and I'm sitting on the operating table, the doctor's like, oh, well, we can save about 15 people here versus one. Let's just pull the cord. You know what I mean? Like, is that, that's, okay, let it me, sounds terrifying. Uh, let me say a, a few things. First, it's not a real concern. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my thesis or like yeah. the conclusion <laughs> of what I'm going to say. Uh, not in the United States and not in Canada. Okay. If worries like that are keeping you from signing your organ donor card on your driver's license, um, worry no more. You should just go ahead and sign that. Now, I don't know the details, and it would be worthwhile looking into it. But first, I will say that like the the medical ethics board that oversees this, any hospital that behaved in that way would would face a wrongful death suit. Sure that my guess is that the numbers would be astronomical. And that kind of lawsuit is going to discourage. Uh, it's gonna provide, I think, a sufficient disincentive for it to ever happen. Somebody shows up on the operating room table and then the doctors start working on it and then they find out. But this is the second point. It's like, they don't know yeah. that you're an organ donor. Right. When you get wheeled into the emergency room, it's not like everyone goes, hold on a second, everybody, yeah. like take a second. Hold on. This guy's about to die. However, can we please <laughs> check his yeah. driver's yeah. license and see if this person is an or organ donor? Um, so that doesn't happen. The yeah. doctors that go in, plus the doctors like you've got a division of labor, too. And then the doctors that are busy trying to save your life are not or very rarely also transplant surgeons sure. or nephrologists. Right. The, so then the people who benefit 
or who would benefit are different people from the people that work in the emergency room only accidentally or occasionally are they going to be the same person mm -hmm. so then you would have to think that the doctors in the emergency room somehow care about like the financial well-being of the hospital as a whole which they might right like if you have a really good working employer employee relationship then a lot of doctors might feel very partial to the hospital and so want the hospital to um, make money to survive and whatever. But part of the reason why people feel that way about their employer is because, and this is something I teach to my MBA students, for example, is what motivates people to care very much about the companies that they work at is because they think that the company that they're working for serves a good, a purpose mm -hmm. that's over and above the money that they're making. Nobody has passion for their place of employment because that place of employment pays them a lot of money. Yeah, no, Or at least right. that's not, I, I kind of want to bring this up in a way because Game of Thrones, right? The last episode, do you watch Game of Thrones? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> um, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm for killed. the people that, I really got a kick out of the last episode of Game of Thrones when, uh, what's his name? I'm not, I don't remember any of the names of any of the characters. Was it the, the, little, the little person? Or yeah. The guy in the wheelchair? Or? Not the guy in the wheelchair, but the, the, the yes. He's um, an X-Men. He's an X-Men too. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's giving a speech at the end. They're trying to pick yeah. like the person who's going to be in charge of the seven kingdoms, except it's the sixth kingdom. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and he gives this speech and they're about to pick a king like mm -hmm. or a queen. Uh, and, and so they're like, who would you pick to be the king or queen of this entire realm? And he gives a speech where he goes, uh, what moves men's hearts, right? It's not armies. It's not gold. It's not any of these things. What moves men's hearts is stories, right? What moves our hearts are stories, powerful stories that tell a moral tale, right? Now I'm, th this isn't part of his speech. Yeah, you just, yeah. He says, Fair like, it's not army, so it's not power. It's not, like, uh, it's not gold, so it's not money is his point. Yeah. It's not, uh, some people add sex into this category. It's not sex. That's not the thing that drives certain kinds of passions. Of course, each of us are uh, passionate about power, prestige, uh, uh, money, uh, all those things, right? But what gets us to, like, really commit to a place where we work Right. What gets us to commit to a place of employment? It's none of those things. Mm -mm. It's the power of a story. It's the power of knowing that the company that you're involved with is serving a greater good. Something that like when you're 80, right, and you're, you're thinking back to you, what you did for a living, you think like I participated in something that had as its object that, that did a lot of good in the world and the same is true for like doctors and nurses and so on that work at hospitals the reason why they feel so passionate about those places when they do is because they sincerely believe that the company namely a hospital has as, as its authentic and genuine commitment uh, an interest in serving the common good or in that case sure. uh, an interest in saving people's lives so you would have to so to worry about signing your organ donor card is to worry that the doctor that treats you has so much passion for the hospital or whatever that they would be willing to let you die so that somebody else can make the money and the hospital can make money, right? Because it's Got not it. like the person yeah, yeah, that's exactly. going to make the, right? So, yeah. so they would have to have a commitment to that hospital 
that would push them to allow. But then why would they do that? Yeah, no, that's like totally. They would feel that way. Why would they do that? People do engage in these kinds of horrible atrocities. And I would describe that as an atrocity to let a patient die. For someone else's gain. Yeah, for somebody. That would be, uh, yeah, that would be morally outrageous. And I mean, doctors, nurses, and so on. You also have to consider the number of people in the operating theater. Right. All would have to be kind of in all on would it. have yeah. to be in on it. It yeah. just becomes really. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that like it's really implausible. Yeah, <laughs> it's really unlikely. <laughs> the other I word. Yeah, because yeah. the people who benefit aren't the people who sure. are in that room. If there was a direct connection, you'd have a. There would be a better case for this kind of concern. And by the way, the concern that you've raised is a concern that a lot of people have. And so I just want to make it clear that uh, it's when you consider the details of the concern, uh, it's very difficult to think that that's really what's going on. And, and it's easier for the doctor, you know, they come in and the doctor goes into, like the doctor and the nurses yep. and everybody in that room goes into what they're trained to do, yep, save, save mode, uh, yep. life. Mm-hmm. And that's like number one in their minds. Sure. Save the life, worry about other things Yeah, you're later. right, no, you're yeah. right, that makes sense. Okay, good. That makes sense. Yeah, you convinced me. I'll go change it today. Yeah. I'm no. brilliant. Yeah. I hope you do. You said I'm brilliant? You're brilliant? No, I said that's brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, yes. you are? I think you're brilliant. I want to make sure my uh, my parking is is still good. Where did you park? Uh, where you said, but okay, good. I got 15 minutes. Okay. Good. I just did park my whole thing. So. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah. good. I'll keep that on. Just. Yeah, why not? Yeah, right. Um, so that's kidneys, that's yeah, organs, kidneys, that's organs. plasma. That's, Got okay. It. All right, yeah. so let's talk about uh, let's talk about sex because uh, I I'm just interested in no, I'm interested in sex. No, um, I think like prostitution is legal in Nevada or whatever. Yeah, yeah, parts of parts yeah. of Nevada, Bunny yeah. Ranch and stuff like that. But like, can you explain in your book, you know, that topic of sex of of what that means? What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, like paying people for sex. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it falls under the thesis. If it's okay for free, it's okay for money. Oh, important. I gave a talk, a Markets Without Limits talk, at Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. And Brigham Young University mm-hmm. is a, is Mormon. a Mormon yeah. school, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I give the talk, and then at the end of my talk, I didn't mention sex, but at the end <laughs> of my talk, one of the students raises uh, her hand, and she said, um, what about sex? In front and of everyone or just Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this was oh, okay, this cool. was just part of the she wanted to know what my thoughts were on prostitution. And then I said to her, Well, what's my thesis? It's if it's okay for free, then it's okay for money. And then I say to her, Let's focus on the if it's okay for free part. Do you think it's okay to have sex with a stranger for free? And she goes, No. Right? Like sex is a thing that you do within a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a Mormon, but you don't have to be Mormon to think that, right? Sure. Roman yep. Catholics, lots of religious people, even non-religious people think that yep. too sometimes, right? Um, so then I said, so then on your view, it's not okay for free. Now, my own personal view on the matter is that like I, I don't like hookup culture and I don't think it's, and, and the reasons aren't, like I think some people can deal with it emotionally, other people can't. Uh, it's hard to know who those people are ahead of time. I think it's uh, it makes much more sense to to have sex with people who you are in a committed relationship with. Sure. Right. It's at least 
then then it can be the kind of thing that it's supposed to be. Mm. I, I say it's supposed to be. It's n I'm not saying that there's a thing that sex is supposed to be. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have used that language. But like then it can be like a great experience. Yeah. But but plenty of people have memories of like terrible hookups or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's like, well, did you want that in your life? Yeah. Is that really what you want? So then, you know, whatever. Also, I think like people make sex out to be this like super important thing. Come on. <laughs> it's more important that the Georgetown Hoyas win the national <laughs> championship. You know, like, come yeah, on, everybody it's calm serious. down. It's not a big deal, yeah. Everybody, God. <laughs> it's just like, take it easy. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, here's, here's what I think. I think allowing, permitting, legalizing uh, prostitution. Actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say legalizing because so, I'm, I think it should be permitted. That's mm -hmm. what I think. Um, I was in Fort Worth this past weekend uh, on a panel with Elizabeth Nolan Brown, who works at Reason Magazine. And her talk was about prostitution. Mine was about plasma. We were on a panel about like how should uh, society regulate sure. these things. And her talk was amazing. And as part of her talk, she made this impassioned plea for decriminalization, not legalization, but decriminalization. Oh, okay. Right? Like weed. Because legalization, yeah. Because legalization will come with certain like regulations. It'll come with certain um, obstacles to doing it. It'll change the nature of it, et cetera. Whereas decriminalization just, it makes it the case that there's like not, it's not illegal. And then in her mind, what would happen is you would get quasi licensing by uh, different bodies that would uh, that would ensure that like the people who engage in process, one, that it's, that violence is minimized or that it doesn't happen as often as it does on the black market. Because we should always remember, by the way, the worst, all the things that we don't like about markets are multiplied by 100 in the black market. Oh, yeah, for sure. We saw this with, like, alcohol prohibition. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, look, the fact that, like, the government passes a law and says you can't have alcohol anymore, What did did everybody just go, oh, uh, All right, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I can't drink <laughs> alcohol. That doesn't Hell happen. Hell no, like, crime, murder, uh, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, Bribery. it's not like there's nothing. Shit. There's no magic yeah. with like Congress stands up and says, ah, here's what we've decided. Sure. And no more sex yeah. for money yeah. or something or yeah. like whatever. People still do it. It's almost like the when you're a kid, right? When, when Like the drinking age is 21, right? I drank more alcohol between the ages of 14 and, and 18 than I did at all <laughs> after 21. You know what I mean? Like. Well, for purposes of this podcast <laughs> and any public thing, I will say I've only ever followed yeah, all yeah, the laws whatever. I don't, yeah. to a letter. I mean, just kidding. But no, but, but seriously, like it makes you want to do things more, I feel like, when you're put in that. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. It's like the forbidden fruit. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like because they're saying you yeah. can't do it, there's like for at least some people, there's like a little bit of extra. Sure. Like, well, I want to do it. Look, people are going to have sex, and they're going to have sex for money. This yeah. is not – they say prostitution is like the oldest profession and in a way of course it is mm -hmm. this is going to happen no matter what the laws are it doesn't matter what the yeah, laws no. are it's going to happen stop it. so then the question is what's the best way of doing this what minimizes the like public health worries what minimizes the violence associated with it what uh empowers people the most right what uh what makes it the best version that it can be sure and I think the answer is to not have, to not put people in jail for paying other people um, for sex.
So I think like Nevada is a, a good example. A Amsterdam has the red light district. My sister yep. lives in Amsterdam, so I've I've seen it. Um, there are Germany has legal prostitution. Uh, I think that's a superior way than the current way of criminalizing it, putting people in jail. Um, I think it would be better overall if we allowed it. It makes sense. I mean, you know, like you said, the forbidden fruit thing. Like, but you're not going to stop someone from doing what they want to do, especially if there's money involved, and they could, I guess, better their situation in the best way they know how. So, so sex, you think, should definitely be decriminalized at least. Decriminalized, at yeah. least. yeah. How real quick? How how long do you think that would take to happen? If in reality, ideally, what would be? Do you mean, are you asking me to predict how many years before we start decriminalizing prostitution? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, or any of these things that you talk about in your book. You know what uh, I mean? Like, good. Okay, so uh, when it comes to plasma, I think we're looking at within five years. Oh, wow. Okay. I think Canada is going to – I believe that Canada is going to change their direction and they're going to start uh, legalizing it, um, paying for plasma, I mean. Um and I think it's going to happen quickly. I think Alberta will change first, and then I think maybe Ontario will too. Once that happens, I think a, a few of the plasma uh, plasma companies might come into uh, Canada, or the ones that exist will expand in Canada. Sure. So I'm optimistic about plasma. Uh, I don't know about kidneys. Um, I think maybe within 10 years we'll have some kind of system in place that will do more than merely pay people back for their expenses when they donate a kidney. I hope. The sooner the better, obviously. Yeah. It's also possible, of course, that like 3D printing technology is going to make all of this like irrelevant, and I hope that happens. But in the meantime, if it takes 10 years, that's 50,000 people who could have lived who, who will or die. Died. So, I mean... We have to do it for the sake of those of those people minimally. Um, when it comes to sex, I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, I hope it happens sooner rather than later because the current situation is bad. I think sex workers have it bad. It's also in a way kind of weird and funny, and I don't know why people don't notice this more, but like you can be paid to have sex with somebody else. You just need like a camera in the room, right? That's what <laughs> porn is. Yeah. Um, Literally, wow. So I don't know. In general, however, I'm an optimistic person, and so you have to take everything that I say about the future with at least <laughs> one grain of salt. Yeah, I always see good things in the future. I, I I believe in the like rational capacity of people. I think uh, I think we're making progress towards a better world, and so I hope. Uh, and so as part of that, I hope we start thinking about changing some of these laws. That's awesome, man. Well, well, where can people find Mr. Peter Jaworski? online or your book like you know stuff like that uh if you google my name you can find me on my georgetown website uh i have uh i have a website where we post these open letters i've written a number with with other people i've written a number of letters on bone marrow and on blood plasma and currently we're working on a letter with respect to kidneys where we argue in favor of the use of incentives for bone marrow blood plasma and we will in the case of kidneys. Hopefully that's coming out sometime soon. That website is donationethics.com. Donation, 
DonationEthics.com. So you're not on like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Peter M. Jaworski. Um, Do you tweet a lot? I feel like you do. I tweet about blood plasma. If you want want my fights with the... With people in the world of blood plasma, you can check me out on Twitter. If you want to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of blood plasma, you can check out my Twitter. That's awesome. Well, thanks for uh, coming by, man, or me coming by to to Georgetown. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for coming into my office, and uh, I appreciate it very much. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Well, that's it, man. Peter, thanks for coming through, Um, and that's it for E4 Explicit. See you next time.